it's really important to be aware of this, but a belief I hold dear as well is that actually being aware of it is great, but if it holds you back, that's not. And I always say to people in our work, it's like, okay, great. Let's spend a bit of time figuring out what's wrong or, you know, what incident it was where whatever boss kind of just gave you a horrible experience after you tried to show your vulnerability with speaking or whatever. Let's look at it. But actually what we want to do is go, right, what new experience can we create quite quickly that will give you success that that can then form the new memory that you replete and kind of scale up. Hi, I'm Carlos, co-founder of the Happy Startup School, and welcome to our Happy Startup Community Podcast. Along this journey of building the Happy Startup School, I've had the privilege of meeting amazing people from around the world. Whether it was across a banqueting table at our summer camp festival, or sat at a beach cafe in Goa during one of our retreats. Each of them had fascinating stories to tell and interesting ideas to share that have changed how I look at business and life. This podcast is my effort to share these conversations with you and to open up your horizons to new perspectives and ways of viewing the world. I hope that they become a source of inspiration, learning and connection. Enjoy. Podcasting and vlogging are great low-cost ways to get your message out to the world. If you're a purpose-driven entrepreneur, being able to share your story and activate people who want to join your mission is fundamentally important. I think of the work of Marshall Gantz, and particularly his principle of story of self, story of us, and story of now. Check out Seth Godin's take on this idea and how it's important for marketeers you'll see a link in the show notes. Even though telling your story and talking in public is so powerful, many of us don't believe we can do it. We say, no one wants to listen to me. However, according to Matt Matheson, this is just a story you tell yourself. And once you know that story, you can change it. This is why I was so eager to talk to Matt. His mission in life is to help people find their voice and he does this by coaching people who want to do public speaking. During this conversation, we talk about how he was called to do this work and how he helps people overcome the fear. He shares some fundamental principles to move past the fear and also what makes for a compelling talk. Two simple questions to ask yourself when you're thinking about speaking in public are, what's the feeling you want to give people? And What do you want them to take away with them? If you're considering talking in public for the first time, or you're wanting to become a better speaker, then this episode is for you. Enjoy. Peace. Uh, I believe that everyone can speak in public. um, And I don't think there's any exception to that rule. Um, You know, the the only prerequisite to public speaking, really, that people need uh, is to be able to speak. And we've been doing that since we were about three years old. Um, some people just need a bit of help kind of unlocking that when there's a time and a date put on it. Um, and that's broadly speaking what I do. So I help people with public speaking find their voice and say what they need to say, you know, when they need to say it. Uh, and that could be on telephone. Uh, it could be in the boardroom or it could be in front of 500 people, um, you know, at the corn exchange at a conference. Um, the principles are very similar um, kind of across all of them really. And um 
yeah, I like to help people find their voice because I think when they do, um, their confidence raises um, and they're more successful um, and they're happier when they're saying what they believe in um, to the people they want to say it to. Cool. And, and I take it you haven't done this for the whole of your life? There was a journey to this point? No, there, there's absolutely there was a journey towards this point. Um, I'm trying to think how far it goes back. I mean, I could probably go right the way back to childhood to a lesser or further extent, but maybe that's for later on in the podcast. Um, but I can pinpoint where it all started converging from a professional point of view. Um, and it was 15 years ago, I'm going with now, uh, 14 years ago. And I was working at, um, my background's in, in project management. Um, you know, in the, in the earlier days, I was working at what at the time was the UK's premier online retailer. Uh, it was called Streets Online, which was essentially, um, you know, like an old school version of Amazon. And they had like Game Street, and DVD Street and Audio Street. And it was all uh, kind of manually updated HTML pages with huge teams kind of updating the charts every week. And, um, you know, from, from there, I worked my way through into quality assurance and then into project management um, before then heading down to Brighton, <clears throat> having a short stint in the e-learning industry where I had my first taste of standing up in front of people and speaking and presenting uh, and was terrified. Um, and then I went to work for a consultancy called Nixon McInnes, um, based in Brighton. I think you know some of the, the, the older Nixon McInnes crew there. And over the course of my time there, kind of pivoted from kind of project management and operations into um, kind of delivering consultancy services and coaching services and um, getting involved in some of the behavior change programs and stuff we did. Around about that same time, uh, I took my first improv course. Um, which was about, we're probably talking about 12 years ago now, I think it was. Uh, and I was instantly hooked. I signed up for an eight-week beginner's course with, you know, a local school, the May, the May Days. Um, I was instantly hooked. You know, I just, I would go there every Wednesday night and have two hours of unbridled joy, hilarity, laughter, and creativity. And there was no judgment. And the whole principle behind it was that, whatever comes up is the right thing and I'd have these two hours every Wednesday with people that I don't really know and we would create the most incredible things and say the most incredible sayings and phrases um, and get to a point where in the space of an hour we could produce a completely unscripted um, piece of theatre that would be compelling to watch um that was made up on the spot and the reason that would work is not because of what people said but it's because of the intent they went in with and the behaviors that they held dear and the way in which um they interacted with each other so they have a set of principles that they follow on stage um around not negating each other and just going whatever comes up and not being stumbled da, 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 all these kind of things um and i started going oh do you know what some of this stuff could be pretty powerful for teams, you know, not just comedy troops. Um, so then I started weaving it into the work I was doing at Nixon McInnes um, and using it as um, a tool to establish and unlock creativity and confidence and collaboration. Um, and then did a little bit of history around improvisation um, as I was diving into what was probably the fourth or fifth 
um, long form course in a row that I was doing. Um, and I went out to Chicago to study intensively in a, um, in a six week uh, program at the uh, School of IO, which is kind of widely regarded as the kind of birthplace of improvisation as we know it today. And found out that actually um, improvisation was created um, many, many, many years ago by a woman called Viola Spolin, um, who was a teacher. And she worked with um, children from kind of dam damaged backgrounds, poor backgrounds, orphans. And she also had an adult teaching class. And she came up with a teaching framework that was designed to unlock um, creativity and collaboration and creative self-expression. Um, and that framework was based on storytelling and game and play and a bit of song. Um, she then tweaked it and brought it to her adult education classes. And all of a sudden, these, these people would just start kind of saying what they needed to say, started collaborating, start creating things together. Um, and then she also works in the theatre world. She tweaked it further and brought it to the stage. And that's how improvisation as we know it is uh, was born. So the source, if you like, of improvisation is that actually it's a framework for um, creative self-expression and collaboration rather than comedy. It's just it turns out when you're having fun and doing good things, it can be funny as well. Um, short sabbatical at Nixon McInnes for six months I think it was seven months part of that was spent out in Chicago and then came back and just tried to melt the worlds together even more you know I was fired up after six weeks kind of watching I think I worked out like something like 70 or 80 shows and doing classes every day and just kind of immersing myself in that world and then brought it back um, targeting then kind of creativity collaborative collaboration confidence and kind of putting them those in those boxes if that makes sense and then I started running drop-in sessions um, and putting themes on them at the office so people from the community would come to an improv session that would be um, a drop-in and started using the phrase applied improvisation which I'd earlier discovered um, was actually a thing out there there's like a global movement of applied improvisation practitioners who take the principles and the teachings um, of improvisation and apply them to scenarios or problems and challenges as a way of solving them. So I kind of got involved in that movement for a while. They've got London meetups and Brighton meetups and, you know, fantastic conference that happens every year. Um, and then kind of somehow started stumbling into, I think it was for um, Amex actually, we were asked to come up with um, a kind of almost like unconference event which was how can you train people up to give a talk uh, throughout the course of a day and then put on like a little mini format um, and it was the very very first seed of what my workshop is now um, and it's kind of come from that where we spent the day looking at um, using improvisation looking at barriers to public speaking um, what's holding you back what happens if you let go of the script and just trust that the right thing comes up um, and that was a roaring success. It was a great event, you know, like a whole ton of the staff came to watch it in the evening. It was really good. And then naturally that just started leading to people asking for support in that area. Um, and what I found interesting is, you know, from like a business, you know, from a business point of view is that the idea that, you know, there's loads of stuff that, you know, maybe you go out there and you hunt for, but this was kind of the one thing that was kind of consistently kind of coming to me so I was like oh okay maybe I should kind of double down on that then 
um, and spent a bit of time you know I did a trip to India five years ago for like essentially like a leadership development retreat where I just had like a his name's David Ferrer's veteran leadership coach he's you know 78 years old now and you know he just coach the heck out of us for a week seven of us to just really push our buttons and figure out what is it that makes us tick what do we love and it just cemented that actually my thing is like is is helping people find their voice kind of have success like unlocking things like maybe as a key without going too kind of cheesily so then i got back from there and you know by that time i'd set up my own business improvising change um and then i was like right okay let's just jump on public speaking as a thing and let's just that seems to be where I provide most valuable value to people. It's what I enjoy doing. Um, and it, it just feels right. So that's the potted ish kind of history of where I am now. Does that, does that work? Does that help? <laughs> that's quite brilliant. a long history. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. I think, um, there's a couple of things that, that jumped out for me. Uh, I'm curious, to go back to this idea of what happened in childhood that relates to this work. Um, you, you use the phrase unbridled joy when you discovered this, which was lovely to hear, particularly because now it is part of the work, the stuff that you do. And to have that alignment is very close to or core to what we believe in at the Happy Startup mm. School. So hearing that, Hearing that is, yeah, has made me super curious about how those things are. And finally, I think that really, the 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 thing that piqued my interest even more than was this idea of like taking this time in India to to see how this all came together. Um, yeah, there are many people out there, I believe, who will not step into joy for the sake of safety. Uh, whether that's because they've done the job for a long time, they know how the job works, whatever that job may be, they won't step into something different, even though it may create unbridled joy because of the uncertainty. It sounds like you've made that transition fairly smoothly. Um, I think smoothly would be a, a stretch of the... Uh, <laughs> a stretch I was hoping the... you'd say that. <laughs> Um, and I'm, I'm one for full transparency. So actually it's hard, you know, um, it's simple, but it's hard, I think is, is the way to do it. And to a lesser or further extent, I still feel like I'm going through that transition. Um, for me, it was, it wasn't a case of, right, here's the thing I need to do. Let's do it overnight. It was like, right, how do I start bringing it out into the things that I'm doing on a daily basis? Um, if I'm working on, so, you know, like a lot of the time I've worked on part-time, um, you know, project management contracts um, for, for clients historically to, whilst growing this coaching practice. And, you know, I went through a period of time where I was like, goodness me, I'm, I'm not a project manager. But I had lots of people telling me I was an excellent project manager and wanting me to come in and consult on how to deal with these horrible, sticky projects. And I was like, right, let's sit down and just chew this over. Is this someone I'm not? Or actually, what am I bringing to this that people are saying, you're great at this? And I kind of came up with this phrase, like, you know, like improvisational leadership. You know, it's like improvisational project management. You know, it's like, okay, rather than saying, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of the people speaking here will understand the concept of, of Gantt charts and, you know, project plans and stuff like that is like the keys to a, a, a good, good project manager, I believe, is not whether you can write a plan that kind of gets you from A to B, which is rigid. It's about um, how do you carry the people who you're going on with? How about the communication? Uh, what is your ability to pivot if something comes up? If a curveball comes your way, which it will, how do you deal with that? Do you welcome it? And do you go, right, I've been given this piece of information. Let's use it. How can I then pass it on to someone else in a way that's effective? And I was like, actually, so how do I start bringing out the bit of me that is good in what I'm doing? whilst then shouting loudly about the more specific bit, the speaking coaching alongside it. And practically, what that actually, how it manifested for me was that actually the, the clients that I was doing contracty gigs for were then aware of my other stuff and started seeding that into me. So I've got a number of organizations I work with now that actually I started off doing one thing and I'm now doing coaching, facilitation, public speaking, um, you know, support, all those kind of things alongside it. Or I'm brought in when there's tricky conversations happening. So it's a case of just trying to bring it out in everything that I do rather than seeing it as something completely different to what I am. And that might take a little bit of scratching, um, scratching at it to kind of go, well, how do I think about it that way? You know, if I'm mm -hmm. working in a shop, but I want to be a gardener, you know, can I start selling plants in my shop maybe as a start of a 10 rather than thinking I have to have a garden? You, you know, like what, what bits of it can you just start bringing in? Um, yeah, so that's kind of how it's kind of how it's happened. And then within time, just speaking to people in word of mouth, really. That's fantastic. Um, the word integration sprang to mind when you're talking about how this, um, how the, the work that you were doing, the project management started to uh, connect with this passion, this love, or even I would say this understanding of uh, where creativity and, and connection and, and I'm going to use the word safety comes from. I, I use the word that safety because I'm just recently I've been reading, even this last night I was reading about a project Aristotle uh, this project commissioned by Google, a uh, big, massive data project, trying to work out what um, what makes for a high-performing team. Mm. And they did research across their whole 51,000 staff, I think all the different teams, trying to find a pattern of what makes these, you know, what makes high-performing teams high-performing and what makes other teams not work. And they just couldn't find any patterns. You know, they're looking at all this data, you know, composition of team competencies all sorts of parameters but what they did find it sounded like sounded like was um the core of it the thing that seemed to be common to a lot of places was the idea of psychological safety and basically everything you just said about being able to come up with an idea without feeling like you're going to be shot down mm. being able to build on other people's thoughts be able to give a space for people to share where they're at and also to have that emotional connection to feel like you're part of something rather than yeah. trying to look better than someone else. It's interesting. Um, you, you say that, so, you know, you've pulled out a couple of the kind of principles behind improvisation there, which is that, you know, you build on things rather than negate them and make each other look good. And, 
you know everyone has a an equal voice um speaking to the what creates a high performing team and then the link to i think you said psychological safety um i spent a little bit of time doing some work with with a couple of other um coaches a couple of years back on an idea that that took flight for a little while which was um this idea of what creates um, a happy workplace, um, you know, and, and how do we come in and create a happy workplace? Or if you're looking at it from a business point of view, how do we kind of increase performance and well-being, um, which ultimately will be about making people happy at work? And then we thought, well, what is the thing that would do that? And where we landed, and I think it's speaking to the same um, title, if you like, that, that you gave there, is people are at their best or most engaged. I think if they feel like they are contributing, they are listened to, they are heard. So how do you make that happen? And the idea that we had was like, okay, how do you link people's strengths and passions to your company mission? So that's the kind of thread that kind of goes through it. So, well, how do you do that? Well, first of all, you need to understand what people's strengths and passions are. What makes them tick? What do they get excited about? What do they love? What's the kind of thing that's going to make them go, oh, I want to do this anyway, you know, and then have a look at how your mission statement is constructed and go, right, how do we bring these two together? Because there will be a way to do it. You might need to do some shuffling. A fair bit of coaching will be needed. And there are a lot of work with a leadership team to really get on board with it. But closing that gap between what people love, what they're fired up about, what makes them them as an individual, where they can express themselves naturally and confidently to the company mission, whatever part of it it may be. Um, and I always thought like uh, some amazing experiments would be to not just kind of theoretically, but also to do, but just be to kind of sit down with the drawing board with someone and kind of go, right, here's the business, you know, and we kind of theoretically played with this with a couple of ideas and go, right, if this person had X, Y, Z, and that person has A, B, C, et cetera, et cetera, who would you swap knowing what you know now? in order to kind of fulfill your company mission, you know, and kind of tick these boxes. And so fascinating results came up because vast majority of people go, oh, I'd love to be working doing that instead. Or, you know, I'd far rather do that, you know. You know, Joanna or whoever her name is working in bid, but you know what, I'd love to just spend my days coming up with artwork, you know. And the artist is like, I've always done this. Like, I'd love to be out there on the front line, you know, just speaking to people, you know. I spend my entire time style showing. So, um... Yeah, you know, individually, how can you express that as an entrepreneur or onepreneur or someone on their own journey? But let's also think about, you know, how how can you bring out this thinking within organizations, um, you know, and, and what, what's the shift that would need to happen there for people to feel more like they're doing what they're meant to be doing within the current organization? And that pulls back to the link of, well, how do you just start expressing who you are and what you're into in your day-to-day -day thing, whether you're freelance or whether actually you're working for Amex or whatever it is. And how can those qualities, because your best qualities are the things that will be most infectious for other people, yeah. So it's like, how do you shine a light on them, figure them out what they are, and then start bringing them out so people see it. And then will, they will naturally light up from, from seeing that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it's wonderful. It's amazing stuff.
And it feels like you're, you're embodying that journey. Um, and so I thought uh, maybe briefly just going back to this idea, you said there's something, where did this all start? And you mentioned childhood. And I also believe, or maybe this is, there was this being poked in India has something to do with this journey as well. <laughs> That's a great turn of phrase there. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, um, the childhood thing. So that statement came from a couple of places. I mean, the more I work with people, the more the understanding that our actions and behaviors are shaped by our childhood is validated. More and more of the, the clients who come and sit down with me in a quiet room on a one-to-one engagement, you know, that this kind of stuff can come up from time to time. Um, so it's a validation of what we know, you know, already. I don't think there's any disputing that. But that then, you know, much like they say, any true therapist training is to go through therapy yourself, kind of has been, has led me more to kind of go, okay, well, which bits of my past maybe contribute to where I am? And I know if I trail a thread through the key relationships, the key activities, the key people, the key areas in my life, it's always come back to... Um, there's been a desire to kind of help in some shape or form, um, you know, and that's for better or worse, you know, for there's been great outcomes in that. And there's been some quite poor outcomes for me and for others, you know, on, on that journey. And then if I scratch back even further to, to childhood, it's, I haven't quite closed the loop with that there. But there, I believe, is probably something in the fact that um, I was adopted. Um, and there's a whole bunch of history that sits with that um, around wanting things to be right um, and successful and correct and valid, given a lesser fortunate start in the very early years so i think that probably subconsciously manifests itself in in my work a little bit and we cover a lot of this in my workshops you know i talk about my adoption story in the workshops as as an example of telling stories um so i think there's there's something there which as i get older the various threads are starting to weave a little bit clearer for me Mm. Um, but the mystery of life and especially one's own personal life, considering our eyes face out rather than in, is something that you spend many lifetimes unraveling, I think. Mm. And, and actually on that point, I think it's really, it's really important to be aware of this, but a belief I hold dear as well is that actually being aware of it is great, but if it holds you back, that's not, um, you know, so whilst, that's interesting and relevant i don't see it as um as like a core driver and i always say to people when i work it's like okay great let's spend a bit of time figuring out what's wrong or you know what incident it was where whatever boss kind of just gave you a horrible experience after you tried to show your vulnerability with speaking or whatever let's look at it but actually what we want to do is go right what new experience can we create quite quickly that will give you success and that can then form the new memory that you replete and kind of scale up. Mm. Um, yeah. So it's, it's important and it's valid, but it shouldn't be, um, 
it shouldn't be everything that we focus on you know we only move forward so there's no point looking back too much well thank you for that i think uh, you make a valid point around not holding too tightly onto the past and and being and that being the thing that limits you or holds you back um there's something there around uh, having an awareness of it um and an awareness that when you are triggered in a certain way whether there's a fear around doing a new thing or or being responded to in a certain way an awareness that that's that's maybe something that out that you've been conditioned to do and something that you can potentially change your reaction rather than or change your response rather than react and it is it's it's about i think this is where i think your work can get very meta which is quite interesting and i like it is this it's kind of making sense of the story not so that it justifies your behavior but it helps you modify or change or grow uh, your behavior so that you can be use it and uh, and i goes back to the, this idea i think of this idea of integrating how you what you need in terms of if you have this feeling or this need to to help or please or or to be of service uh, i believe by being aware where that comes from rather than it being just something that then you're lumbered with and you have to always be like that you then know okay that's why I like to do things or I get joy from certain things or I, I feel a need to do certain actions because it's, it's something part of my story in a sense as I, absolutely, I hear it. And, um, and I think it, it, it relates very much to what, what we're about at the happy start, what we're evolving, how we're evolving at the happy startup school, understanding what we do here. And it, it underlines this idea for me of, um, from our perspective, entrepreneurship being a journey of self-discovery is that through this process of um, what I heard, I like the phrase of this whole business, this business of creating businesses is a full contact sport. We're basically having a, an interaction with the world. And through that interaction, if we allow it, it helps us understand more about who we are. Mm. So through the process of creating these things, doing this work, delivering this value, having these challenges with money we discover if we allow it again who we really are and what what really triggers us or defines us um and so you know the part of this for me is 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 be able being able to harness that awareness and understanding to tell our story better whether that's like you said public speaking selling um, pitching, yeah, even just connecting with an audience yep. to feel that they can understand, see Working. you, and hear you. And so, <clears throat> I think it would be nice to, <clears throat> I think, give people some some thoughts and ideas that they can they can um, take away with them to maybe give them more of an awareness of where where they can understand. So the the process of storytelling or um, being able to express yourself more powerfully for one of a better term can help mm. um, and so yeah I think a lot of people will be scared shitless when you say oh, it's time for, even just to stand up in front of a group of th- six people 
yeah. to talk. Um, so it'd be nice to hear from you more about what, from your experience of talking to you, what, what those, what those feelings, where those feelings potentially come from, or just, you know, how you see that journey happening for people from going from, I could never talk to anyone, stand up and talk to, to, to a group of people to actually stepping into a, a more, stepping into that more confidently. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And one I'd love to chat about. Um, <clears throat> so the first thing is, you know, you said where the thoughts come from. And then we thought we can have a look at kind of how to, how to bridge the gap, if you like. So the one thing that is, is quite unanimous across all the workshops and clients I work with and I think human beings as a whole is that um, we have thoughts and sometimes they're useful and sometimes they're not useful. Um, and most of the time they just come and we're not even aware that they come um, and they come thick and fast and they drive our behavior. Um, not always, but sometimes. And people hold very strong thoughts, not so much around public speaking as a thing, but around their own ability to speak in public um, or what is actually far more common is um, a kind of self-deprecating thoughts around their ability to speak in public rather than entertaining any possibility at all that they may have something there in that area already. And the reason this happens is um, well, there's, a, there's a multitude of, of reasons why people think that, but usually it's driven by a number of events that might have happened um, that would have potentially uh, gone wrong and triggered a negative feeling. So they might have had a, you know, and I'm kind of doing inverted commas for here, like a, a bad situation, a bad gig, um, which has led to a negative emotion of some sort rising off of the back of that situation, you know, uh, anger, frustration, regret, anxiety, whatever it may be, um, that has colored that whole experience. And due to one of many, many things, we're kind of conditioned to focus on those things. You know, the, the, the frontal bits of our brain kind of focus on that and, you know, our flight and fight syndrome kicks in and we got adrenaline and it's a whole bodily experience that kind of goes on here. It's not just a general thought that kind of arises and passes or kind of comes up. Like your whole body's consumed of it physically and mentally when you kind of are in this state. Um, and as a result of that, you, you you forget about all the good stuff you've done and all the potential that you've got and the fact that you've been speaking since you were three years old and the fact that you've held court dozens, hundreds, if not thousands of times with an audience throughout your life. Um, but because it hasn't led to some big revelatory moment or you haven't shone a light on it specifically, it's just passed as another moment. So our brains act a little bit like Google in that, you know, we walk around the world and we see something. And when we see something, our brain does a quick Google search. It says, right, trace back to the last memory I have relating to that particular scenario. Public speaking. Hey, brain, Google search. Ah, anxiety. Right. Respond. How do I respond from a place of anxiety? Okay. So these thoughts that we have kind of just, we focus on the bad. And if you focus on the bad, 
you focus on the bad. Yeah. So how do we reframe them? You know, that, that's part of what I believe needs to happen is like reframing the thoughts and creating some more positive ones. Um, the other thing is like magnification of those thoughts and the situation with time and driven by the feelings that come with it. Um, we tend to magnify them. So a lot of the phrases I hear is like, Oh, I almost had a heart attack on stage. And I was like, how's your health? Have you got a history of heart problems? Did you pull over? Did you go white in the face? What? No, no, no. Did anyone tell you like you're having a heart attack? No. Did you get to the end of your talk? Yeah. Did technology work? Yeah. So maybe it wasn't quite that bad. Well, maybe not. You know, and we, but they build this thing up and we loop it and loop it and loop it and loop it and kind of move it to this self-fulfilling prophecy of I can't do this, I'm terrible. Whereas every single day we are social beings, we speak to people, so we've got the skills and we can do it. So thoughts, you, you talked about thoughts, you know, uh, people's thoughts about this. The reality is people's thoughts, the vast majority of the time, and I'm talking at least 90% of people I've met, is that they are massively inflated, inflated to what the reality of the situation is, okay? So once that can be understood, and imposter syndrome plays a big part of this, this belief that you're not good enough or that you haven't got a message to tell, once you can get over that, you can start to step into the place of, well, may, maybe, just maybe, actually, I have. Um, and from there, I think, I think there's, generally speaking, two kind of clear um, uh, pieces, if you like, to the puzzle to get you from A to B. So from that place of, ah, how do I start to getting up in front of them? in front of 10 people, 20 people, whatever it might be. There's two keys, I think. One of them is what I call making the unknowns known, which is about taking control of the situation. Nine times out of 10, the stories that I hear is, I put this out of my mind and then I just ambled my way through it. You know, I didn't deal with it, I ignored it and I just dealt with it on the day. Well, of course it's gonna be a fun situation <laughs> to kind of phrase. Um, so making the unknowns known, that means asking the questions you need to do and spending a bit of time down on your paper in your book going, right, what are all the what ifs that I've got going on in my head? What if the technology fails? What if the person performs better? What if the person after me is um, needs to start early? Uh, what if they want PowerPoint instead of PDF? Um, how many people are gonna be there? What time do I need to arrive? Am I expected to send something in advance? How, when should I prepare? How long should I prepare for? Where should I prepare? What do I need to practice the most? At what point should I be thinking about technology? And then go and get the answers to those questions. So that you're reducing the likelihood of something that's gonna catch you off guard coming up. So as these things come towards you, you already know the answer. So you're taking control of the situation practically. And within that umbrella, you also have preparation. So having a good framework for preparing um, and rehearsing and practicing. The second pillar is your mindset. And we've talked about that a little bit. It's like, okay, how do you get yourself to a place um, where you're it's a bit of a cliched phrase, but like controlling your mind rather than your mind controlling you. And there's always, um, there's, a, there's a metaphor I always like to use here. And for those listeners that are maybe as old as me, um, you may remember a film starring Russell Crowe called A Beautiful Mind. And he plays um, 
he plays a mathematician with a with a brilliant mind who is plagued with a split personality syndrome and he sees characters and hears voices um you know it's a wonderful film it's an excellent film like one of his best i think um one of the early ones but as we see him move through the narrative of the film um we start by seeing this you know this healthy individual you know this great guy loads of prospects um and you know and over the course of the film and you know it's almost in line with the the hero's journey if you like story arc these characters these voices pull him down and there's this kind of pivotal scene which really stands with me like i remember the first time i saw it we can see him just surrounded by these people driving him crazy and then you see the same scene cut from a window at the school and it's just this man on his own going mad out in an interchange of a path in the, in the school grounds. And, you know, it brings him right down to his rock bottom. And that, that can be where people are when they come. You know, actually, they've been talking for ages, but suddenly they've got themselves in a funk about, I can't do this, I can't do this. And then as we see the film progress and he develops his tactics and he works through his demons, at the end of the film, I think he's standing up after a lecture and you see him turning his head to the left, I think, and he looks across the room and up on the balcony all those characters that played him were still there, but they're over there. And that's how this work is. It's like, you're never going to eradicate the nerves. They're there for a reason. And you're never, unless you become some enlightened one, going to completely still your mind. But what you can do is reposition them from being in front of you to perhaps being behind you. So they're no longer a barrier and they're just something that follows you around. Okay, so those are the two pillars, really. All the practical stuff, making the unknowns known, your preparation, rehearsal, content, audience, all that stuff, and then um, mindset. Awesome, that's great, brilliant. And um, this and is then, this, yeah. Carry sorry, on. I just a thought. You said like a practical tip as well. Yeah, there's a couple of things people can do just to start shining a light on where things are working and where things aren't because that's the first start and this is what i tend to do with nearly all my clients is ask them to keep a little diary of what i call their bright spots and their lights their their bright spots and their dark spots and you're you're smiling so i'm wondering if you know know what i'm going to say here and as and when you have moments of success within the context of whatever it is you're working on so if it's public speaking you know when you have moments of like that communication went really well Oh, just, you know, I really felt like I aced that. Or someone gave me some feedback. Write it down in your little diary. And then conversely, your dark spots is when you have the opposite happen. And you have a really sticky meeting or, you know, that call just didn't go well. Or you tried to network and you just felt like a fool or whatever it may be that's coming up for you. Write that down. And then come back to them and have a look at what are the circumstances situations contexts and behaviors that are leading to these positive scenarios and what are the things that are leading to the ones that aren't so good and then start to replicate and start to make a list of the things that you can do off the back of these that you can start to consciously put into action oh i prepared for that one. Oh, i spoke to this person beforehand oh i built some report with that person oh i was really clear on what i needed to do oh that one i went in rushed last minute hadn't had breakfast da, 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 da. and just start to shine a light on your behavior because when you do that, then you start to see interesting nuggets appear um, that you can then you can work with and, and replicate. Brilliant. Excellent. 
no, that, that, that sounds like a excellent groundwork for people to, to sounds like take a bit more control over these, uh, these feelings that arise when it comes to talking in public or sharing their story. And it sounds like this is, well, this forms part of a broader um, group of work. Uh, and I understand you, you run these workshops um, regularly um, that takes people on this journey. And maybe talk a bit more to that and the path that you like, your, your intention with these workshops for people who, who attend them. Yeah, so the the workshops themselves, I mean, the most, um, the clearest one, the most kind of widely accessible for people is the public workshops, um, you know, rather than the kind of private ones and the one-to-one. And they run every two months, every two or three months, depending on calendars, here in Brighton, occasionally in London. And it's a one day, it's called Overcome the Anxiety and Be a Better Public Speaker. Um, and it's it's you know, in business language, you know, targeted at people who who are having thoughts arise such as no one wants to listen to me. I'm terrified of this kind of thing. I'm not good enough. I don't have it in me, that kind of thing. And throughout the course of the day, and I always limit it to 10 people. So it's a really tight workshop. We go from nine till five. So there's a lot of work with a small amount of people. We can get a lot done. It's very personalized. Um, we'll go through all this stuff with everybody. So we'll look at, okay, where do you want to get to? The difference between stories, facts, some neuroscience behind that, and then working to uncover, well, what's your personal storytelling style? Because everyone's got their own storytelling style. So how do we shine a light on that and uncover it? And we do that in workshops. So you have a starting point for when you want to craft a story. Um, we then put it into action a little bit. There's lots of informal presenting, playbacks, coaching, testing stuff. Um, we look at anxiety and preparation and nerves, um, talk about some case studies in the world of sport, a little bit around visualization, sports psychology, what happens in your brain when you visualize success versus um, actually being in that situation, the same parts of your brain come alive. Um, how to motivate yourself. Um, like what's the thing that's going to get you up, um, how to connect with your audience on whatever emotion you choose. So, you know, two things I always say to people before you even start coming up with your content, answer two questions. What's the feeling you want to leave these people with? And what you're looking for here is actually an emotion is what you're aiming for. And then what's the most important thing you want them to take away? And if you understand uh, what feeling you want to leave them with, then you need to bring that feeling out in your body, your language, and your content. So if you want people to feel excited by what you're telling them, then it's, um, it's probably not worth delivering a talk like this. I don't think this will work. Um, it needs to come out. It needs to come out in what you say, how you say it. And you need to tell them why you're excited about this. Like I'm excited because I get to talk about this cool, stuff with you because it's it's part of who i am and it really really pushes my button you know if you want to take your presentation out to someone you want to excite them you need to talk about the bits that excite you you need to talk about why it excites you you need to show that you're excited and then emotional contagion which is a phrase from the field of neuroscience will kick in and it's this idea that you know emotions are like the flu 
you know you see it a lot in 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 offices so if you have like one person who's really happy and then mr grumpy walks in you know what's going to happen oh one of those or both of those people are going to move either mr happy is going to get grumpy or you know something's going to happen and we see this at scale you know see it at you know synagogues mosques churches concerts political rallies in the office at home um, you know, but the, the, the magic with it is like when you're aware it happens, you can consciously deploy it. So if I want this person to feel sad, then tell me why you feel sad. Yeah. Show me the tears in your eyes. Like I want to see this. And that's, we look at how you deploy that in the workshop. We spend quite a bit of time, um, focusing on storytelling and how emotions come into it and how these, these, uh, they're one of the few things that, um, transcend race color geographical boundaries the lot we all know what it feels like to be happy we all know what it feels like to be sad we all know what it feels like to be anxious um you know apart from a select few people at the top of large organizations <laughs> um yeah so what else do we go on to uh we do a bit of work on what i call uncovering your conditions for success which use your unique steps in order to kind of have the best chances of a good gig really what are the things you need to do so we bring to mind some good situations some bad situations and draw out learnings from them um we focus on uncovering what is your natural physical and oral presence as a public speaker um and define it so that you create your own natural character you can step into that comes from you rather than somewhere else and all these exercises are like well okay what how do we extract your one because Joe's will be different from Sally's and Sally's will be different from Carlos's and Carlos's will be different from Matt. So they're all kind of question-based exercises to uncover your toolkit rather than me come in and give you a slide deck and a PowerPoint and go, here's how you do it. There's no slides, no PowerPoint, nothing like that. The whole thing is just boom, straight into it. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, you get, you get a toolkit you know, which has your storytelling style in it, your physical style, your tips for anxiety and nerves and management, um, a load of practice. There's a set piece at the end of the day and at the end of the morning and then loads of informal bits in the end. And it's just, um, do you know what? It's just a really bloody lovely day. Because <laughs> see, so I see people come in and, you know, everyone's guards up at the, at the beginning so people are hugging by the end of the day. Do you know what I mean? They're like, we have got there. We have done this. And they're like, right, I'm going to go in tomorrow into my office and I'm going to do this thing, you know? And it's just like that for me is that that's the unbridled joy bit. It's like seeing that happen is like just amazing. You know, like I love it. Just like seeing some people go, look, I've just created this thing in a day and it's blown my mind. I didn't know I could do it, but I've just done it in this room which means I can do it. So now I can go and replicate that out in the, you know, out, out in the real world. So that, that's the workshop. Um, yeah, brilliant. had a really yummy lunch as well. We always have a really nice lunch included as part of it. Food's important, you know, you have good yeah. food. That's fantastic. Well, I, I'm, I'm hoping whoever's listening to this is now feeling very excited, <laughs> very energized, and also able to come away with the thought of like, yes, I can create my own style uh, so if people wanted to know more about your work and and maybe get in touch or find out when the work next workshops are on is there a place for them to go online is there a website that they can look at or a, a social media account that they should follow yeah the best place is just come to my website which is www.thespeakingcoach.co.uk 
and everything they need is from their uh, workshop stuff, contact details, a little bit about me. Um, yeah, that's the easiest place I would imagine. Brilliant. That was a lovely conversation. I've learned loads. Um, very excited and curious about the workshop myself now. <laughs> I love the idea of, uh, yeah, definitely um, stepping into that own your, my own style mm. and owning that style. That sounds really, really fun. That's and um, you got and great I know style. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you up there. You I, I think it's uh, I think it's great. You might not have a name on it yet, but um, yeah. <laughs> oh well, it'd be nice. Um, well, it's nice to get more of our community. I think there's the, well, I know there are members of our community who who are doing more public speaking. Would love to to get into this, and, and I, it sounds like they would really benefit from your workshops. So. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Um, I hope you have a, a great rest of the day. Thank you. Uh, and yeah, um, we will uh, well, talk soon. Yeah, and you know, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've been meaning to speak to you guys for some time. So thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, and see you on the grapevine, as they say. Excellent. Thanks for listening to this Happy Startup School podcast. We're on a mission to help purpose-driven entrepreneurs and individuals find more alignment between what they believe and the work they do. Because for us, happiness is when what you think, say and do are all aligned. Happiness isn't just a passive feeling, but an active way of living, which isn't always easy, but when it's done right, can be effortless. We're on a mission to help you find happiness by providing tools, courses and community that inspires you to follow the journey of building a happy startup. This will require finding out more about yourself as well as learning how to build a purposeful business. If you're excited by this, then please rate and subscribe to this podcast on your preferred platform and then go to our website, thehappystartupschool.com. You can also read our blog at ahappy.link forward slash read.